I'm here at the Game Developers Conference online in Austin, Texas, and with me today are two special guests. How about you introduce yourself? I'm Michael Hartman. I'm the president and CEO of Frog Dice. Um, I'm Pang Hartman, and I'm the creative director of Frog Dice. And what's, what's Frog Dice about? We make online games, primarily online role-playing games, but we're also moving into web and casual games as well. So you have these um, online role-playing games. What types of online RPGs are they? Are they Flash-based? Are they? Um, our oldest game is a pure text game. Um, people may be familiar with MUDs. Our newest game, Primordiax, is a uh, hybrid graphical text game, and it's uh, a Flash client. So it's a graphical user interface that also has a uh, text basis as well. And both games focus a lot on role-playing, and they both actually have required staying in character, so they're very much about role-playing and uh, the, a, a real virtual world where the players can actually change the world in a permanent way. Okay. Um, how long ago did you start this RPG? Well, Threshold, our oldest game, started in 1996. Um, Primordiax's design actually started in 2001, but it didn't seriously, it kind of was a part-time project until about 2007, and it was released uh, two months ago. So, And, you know, what, what inspired you to make an online RPG at first? At first, it was playing them. It's like the old, the old saying, building a better, if you build a better mousetrap, people will buy it. At first, it was just like I played games, and I thought, you know, I think I could do better. So that's what got me into it at first. Um, that was the big inspiration. So you developed this RPG. How, do you, how did you get players? Um, you know, in 96, a lot of these concepts and, you know, all these game ideas, uh, you know, a text-based RPG wasn't even... I mean, yeah, people are used to MUDs, but just putting it online, I mean, how did you, how did you get that thing rolling? That was really hard. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first thing. Um, almost all word of mouth because there was no, like, I mean, there was the web, but barely. You know, I mean, the first real graphical browser was um, 93, I believe. Yeah. So there wasn't much on the web. There was no Facebook, so you Usenet. could virally. Usenet? Yeah, absolutely. Usenet was a big thing. People okay. pro most people probably never even heard of Usenet, <laughs> but um, Usenet com it was awesome. Um, a lot of that. Um, there used to be, the, uh, there's a website called the Mud Connector. Um, it was a big source of getting players, um, but mostly I would say 90% just word of mouth. You know, you get a few dedicated, loyal people, yeah. they tell their friends, they tell their friends, and then you're really just going on the strength of your gameplay. Were you working on it full time, or when did you start realizing that this could be? Um more than a hobby or something else? Well, I, at first I was not working on it full-time. I was in law school, and it was just a hobby, and I graduated, and I started practicing law, and I hated it because, you know, lo and behold, you have to deal with other lawyers, you know, and that's miserable. So uh, I decided to try to push it full-time, and this is 96, so pretty early in the internet, um, and it was a risk, and my parents were freaking out about it. How can you do this? You're supposed to be a lawyer. And I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to roll the dice, and it worked out well, and um, it's been 15 years now. So. And you met your wife online. Too, so. I'm on a wife online, so yeah. Awesome. Um, were you one of the players then uh, yes. of the game? I, I was one of the players of the game, and um, I was in law school also, so we had something in common, and that's just how it started. How did you hear about the game? Um, one of uh, two of my friends from college actually dragged me into the game, saying they thought they would uh, that I would like it, and um, it just happened that I did like it. So it was my first online game, and it was like you know been obviously a big part of my life ever since. So yeah, so word of mouth advertising not only brought us our players, but it's how I met my wife. So word of mouth advertising, <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan. It's key. Yeah. Um, now, you know, back then, though, how did you figure out how to monetize it? I mean, even virtual currency and all these other concepts were completely alien. 
and even credit card processing and, right. and server issues, right? I mean, servers back then were extremely expensive, I think. Right. So how, how did you handle that? Well, we started off at first in the traditional MUD method where you find an ISP that wants to have games. To, back in the day, ISPs used to try to offer services to their users because the internet didn't really have that much. It was kind of, uh, ISPs were following the AOL model. So you would find an ISP that wanted to offer a game to their users and they would give you server space. And we ran like that for less than a year, I think, and then had the money. Then we did a donation drive to, with our customers, like donate money and we'll buy a server and we'll have our own server. Yeah. So I started off donations. Then the donation drive is what gave me the what made me think we could actually make money. Okay. And then we went to um, really an optional what we called a registration system where it's like it's games free to play, but if you pay money you'll get some extra benefits, you know, which was yeah. not really a microtransaction model, but similar now to the free to play pay for perks kind of a system they have now. And now we were using this back in ninety six. Yeah. Now back then everybody thought everything on the internet should be free. So where the difference nowadays, there's certain challenges to different business models. The challenge then was getting people to spend money at all. Yeah. You know, nowadays it's like, oh, well, can we get them to subscribe? Can we get them to buy items? Back then, getting people to spend money whatsoever on the internet was a challenge. You know, and back then we just did everything over the mail. You know, people mailed checks or mailed cash, God forbid, you know what I mean? And then um, I had, and for taking credit cards, there were no really awesome, there was no PayPal then, so there was no easy system. I had to get a credit card processing account like a traditional retail store and then just pay a penalty for the fact that I didn't have a card to swipe. So I had to do it really the hard way. Um, that's how we got that started. Okay, so you, you got it rolling. What were you thinking at that point? Um, so your, your customer base is growing. You realize that you can you know, turn this into your job. Um, what, what were you thinking at that point? Um, were you thinking about expanding into other MMOs, just um, focusing on this MMO? How do you keep the users engaged? I mean, you're talking about a 15-year MMO, that's that's huge. Mm -hmm. Well, honestly, at the time, it was real simple. I was focused just on like paying the bills. You know what I mean? Like keeping yeah. food on the table. Um, that was my first, my primary focus for the first few years, and I figured um, I could grow from there. Um, the the second step for the company originally was to make virtual worlds for school districts. Believe it or not, um, which I still think would have been a great idea, but it was really hard to get schools on board with the, such a forward-thinking idea. So I was like, well, you know, I'll just focus on this one game. And the way you keep people involved in a game for so long is really just to really care about community. You know, like yeah. other games pay lip service to it. You know, like WoW, oh, we care about our community, but WoW doesn't care about their community. I mean, like anyone who's been to their forums for five seconds can tell they don't care. They let people just savage each other. You know, and I actually think it's part of the design. Like if people there, anytime someone brings up an idea, or let's say someone brought up a really legitimate critique or criticism of the game, there will be a million people that will shout them down. And I actually think that's part of the design of that community, and that's not good to maintain people because you know that just drives people away like we really care about our community maintain every single person we value every customer and what is included in that also is customer service you know like people can email us you know even though it's our company we run the company they can mail us and say hey I have a problem with this or that and we answer almost everything um, and another thing we do is we have an annual convention, even though we're a small company, we have an annual convention for our customers. And every year, you know, 50 to 100 people will come to Lexington, Kentucky and meet other people that play our games and stuff like that. We've just always had a very customer forward, customer first policy. And I think our customers have rewarded us for that by staying with us. Yeah, so you talk about community. I mean, does that just go so far as just putting up forums and responding to people's emails? I mean, how are you taking that customer service or community service to the 
to a higher level. I think it's really deep. I mean, my wife can probably comment about this too, but like it's the forms are one part of it. Another part of it is uh, the customer service, like when people have problems, helping them, caring about it. Then there's other things, like I mean, even caring about them on a personal level. You know, like we've had customers that were dealing with like spousal abuse and things like that, and we would help them, you know, get out of that situation, help them find places, people they can go with to live and get away from a really bad situation. You know, like I mean, it, it's really caring about every customer like they're a person rather than they're just like a pocketbook. You know yeah, what I mean? We announce every birth. We announce the people that have met on our game, which there's an astounding amount. Yeah. You know, like I think I've heard from Second Life or Blizzard, like they have 20 couples that have met or something like, I don't know, like probably like 50 couples have come out of this, including us. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. Um, so that's just the stuff like, you know, people mail us when they're going to go meet somebody else. They're like, hey, I'm going to go meet another player. Um, just wanted to let you guys know. So we kind of help with their safety, you know yeah. what I mean? And we stay involved in the community online, like ourselves. Like, we get on on our games, and we'll get on the out-of-character channels, and we'll actually hang out and chat with them. You know what I mean? Like, we participate in the live events that we run for our players. So our players, they don't just see us as an occasional press release. Oh, the president said they're going to do this. No, on a day-to-day basis, they might see, oh, there he is online talking to us about random stuff, even if it's not game-related. You know what I mean? Like, talking about about sports, talking about whatever other stuff. We maintain a presence in the community that's more than just, you know, the corporate entity. And since you're focused on the community, do you have to spend time then still on the game design, or has that already been solidified and finalized uh, a long time ago? Yeah, we're always, I think to be a game, even an older game, you have to constantly add new content, new game systems, revise things. I remember what it was six, seven years ago, we had to bring a whole new aggro system because like the the hate-based aggro system had become so popular in MMOs. Ours was basically like um, a last hit system. Whoever the last person was to, to use a special attack on a mob, they had aggro. Well, like that system had become so outdated that, you know, it really hurt the game. So, you know, we ch- we, we'll change core concepts in the game even to this day. So how often are you changing stuff in the game? Is it something where your community can expect to be released every week, every month, every six months, every year? Um, it's, it, it changes a lot depending on what we're, work, what we're working on. Sometimes there are changes daily. Um, worst case scenario, monthly. That's, I'd say that's the worst. It's um, daily or weekly is more common. Sometimes it's something small, some little tweak, or some little. Right. Now bug fixes happen almost every day. Well, big systems that take a lot of time. Like for example, we've talked about. Um, well, we actually told our players we would probably never have a crafting system because we didn't believe in trying to tack on a crafting system. In threshold. In in the first game, in the original game, the 15 year old game. Yeah. Um, but. Now we've figured out a way, so that's been one of the major systems that we've been working on. Um, now we have other small things that are coming out the whole time, but that's our major system, yeah. and it's probably been in uh, the works for about three months now. So. Okay. And, um, you know, what inspired you then to do another game? So you, you've got this one game working. What inspired you to move on and do other games and go into Flash and stuff like that? Well, two things. Um, one is technology, like a lot of the technology improved, and there were things that I really wanted to do that were really hard to do in Threshold for technological reasons, um, just by the code base. Like it doesn't have a database back end, so like everything I save, it's all file based. So, so whenever I want to save changes to the world, it's really labor intensive from a design standpoint. Um, whereas Primordiax, you know, has a MySQL back end for storing data, which gives me a lot. It makes persist both are persistent worlds, but the persistence in Primordiax is much easier. Where 
whereas the persistence and threshold requires an enormous amount of work. Um, so that was one thing, technology. Second um, was storyline. Um, we, we use the same IP for all of our games. So Primordiax is in the same game world as Threshold, but it's 4,000 years in the future. So there were a lot of things story-wise that we really wanted to tell that would work that way. And also, um, one of my favorite themes in fantasy and science fiction is time travel. Yeah. And if we have two games at these distant um, times, then we can actually, it opens up the possibility for some time travel story elements that wouldn't be possible otherwise. So, uh, And then as far as the Flash game, um, you know, we like them ourselves. And it's kind of that same mentality I said before, what got me into games the first time was playing games I liked and thinking I could build a better mousetrap. Well, we, there's a lot of web casual games we like, and we're like, you know, we could do that. And Well, another thing also is the fact that, like, um, we had a family. and Well, we have a family, and yeah. but our kids are growing up, so yeah. they don't need us as much. You know, they don't need us there all the time now. And I'm about to, our youngest one is about to enter kindergarten, so they're going to be gone all the time. So instead of running our company as a lifestyle company, we're now ready to expand because we had the time to expand. We focused on family first, and now we're, you know, yeah. moving on. And, you know, another thing in the pre-interview you mentioned was the concept of, uh, you actually have a lot of women playing this game. Uh, can you talk about the percentages of women playing the game and also women on your staff? Yes, we um, have about 43% of our players are women, and 50% of our development staff are women also. And um, we find that's kind of important because 64% uh, of online gamers are women, yeah. but only 11% are on MMOs. So our design concepts are targeted towards making what we think is like making it um, a safer and less stressful gaming environment for women, yet still having the challenge that you know most gamers want. Yeah. Um, like a lot of PvP games will have like I don't know one percent women or less. You know, popular games, League of Legends. Um, we just found out Tank Wars are ninety nine percent men. But we have PvP on our games, but we're still 43% women. So. so so what would you say, I mean, what is the design that's that's attracting both men and women compared to some of these other games that you mentioned that only have maybe 11% women? Well, I think um, the first thing is, I would say, this isn't quite answer your question, but it's something that kind of builds to it is, the first thing is people need to understand, like, designing a game to appeal to women doesn't mean dumbing down your game. Sure. We were just talking to someone on the expo floor and said something about, you know, are you doing anything to attract more women? And they were like, well, you mean like making World of Dolls? And like, that's the first mistake you can make is to think that women only like dolls and stuff like that. They actually like all these other kinds of games also. Um, I think that if you're looking for specific features, I think women are really attracted to games that have strong community and have a lot of customization because, you know, they want to be able to make their mark on the game world itself. They're not as much into just the visceral experience. Men are probably a little more into the visceral experience at the moment. Um, but I think one thing, I think it's dangerous to generalize too much because I think men and women gamers do actually like a lot of the same things. Um, I think you can actually put off women when you start to think you need to do these things. And another big example I would say, um, you'll read these posts every now and then saying, oh, well, maybe if we made the female avatars in our game less sexualized, maybe they would attract more women. But people need to pick up Vogue and Cosmopolitan and Magazine and see, like, the women on those, on those magazines are very sexualized. Yeah. You know, women don't, they're not turned off by that. They don't, they don't think, oh, well, my, they want their character to be attractive. You know what I mean? Like, so it's really easy to go the wrong way. So with your RPG, part of it is because you can, you can modify the world. Right. Uh, it, do you think that's one of the reasons that 
in addition to the community and in addition to the social aspects that actually makes it attractive. Um, I mean, you you came into the game, and honestly, even you know me as a guy, text-based games aren't my thing. So, what was it that attracted you? Well, and you know, keep in mind back then, like there wasn't really the MMOs and everything, so it was a way to play competitively, but with other people. So you did you did feel that social component at that time? That's oh, definitely. That the social component is what made me stay for so long, and what has made so many people stay for so long, even in um, a graphic-heavy world now. But um, one of the other things was like, um, well, not for me because I really do like PvP, but for a lot of the other women in the game, they really like um, the ability to make, to progress without having to do a ton of button mashings and, you know, stressing out and like, you know, dying all over the place or whatever. They can progress through other means, um, social means, and that helps a lot, I think, for a lot of the women gamers where they get power, but it isn't power from just button mashing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, you folks are mentioning um, growing your business. How are you going to get past word of mouth? You know, I mean, word of mouth is definitely important, but do you feel that you're going to have to transition to these newer technologies just to make it more accessible to everyone else? Um, which may alienate your community a little, but at the same time it makes it so that other women and other men can appreciate your game more because it's more accessible to them because visually right. it's, you know, I definitely think that's the case, and that's the way our company's been going too. I mean, that's like I was saying, you know, our second game that was started, you know, in its design stage 10 years ago would have been, if it had been made right then, it would have been pure text just like our first game. But we eventually realized that wasn't going to work. Um, and I had to kind of fight actually with some of our other designers when I insisted like, look, we're going to have a flash client for this game. Yeah. And there were, even when I finally got to the point where we're going to have a graphical client for the game, that was the first battle, then there was some, oh, let's make it in Java and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, Java's great, but like then people have to install Java and that doesn't happen. Whereas like Flash has like 98% market penetrations. Everyone's already got Flash, you know? So I was like, look, we're doing it in Flash. I don't care what it takes. Why we have to change? We have to do it that way. It needs to run in a browser. It needs to be in Flash for that accessibility reason. Um, and then that's why we got into the casual game again because we wanted to do. We wanted. We, we decided we wanted to make a game where we could reach a, ma a wider market. Yeah. Um, now they all share the same virtual currency. Yeah. So in the same world. In the same world, the same IP. So if people play our casual game, then maybe if they like our IP and they've already invested money in buying some of the virtual currency that we call it medallions, they're already, they can play those other games for free and they already have the virtual currency, so it'll help market those other games also. And so finally, what suggestions do you have for other game developers um, that want to go on their own, you know, start their own company, uh, have their own community? I mean, how does it feel to wake up every day um, working on this MMORPG or online RPG? Uh, I mean, it's great having control of your life, you know what I mean? It's great to, um, you know, live wherever you want to live. Um, what I would say to someone who was, if they wanted to start their own company, I would say uh, get some, have some good friends to do it with. I would also say find somebody right away who knows business. You know, like, even if, if you're an artist or a programmer and you don't know anybody, like, say you're a college kid and you want to start your company, go over to the business school and find somebody because um, having someone who understands the basics of that kind of stuff, will it will benefit you enormously, things that you couldn't even expect. And maybe they, you might think, oh, well, he doesn't know anything about games. But that knowledge of basic business concepts is really huge because they also understand, and you'll be surprised what they know. Like, most business people, they've learned a lot about statistics and analytics and things like that that will benefit you as a game designer also. 
um, you know, my background was first was legal yeah. first before like, I never took a computer science class in my life. I had to teach myself programming from scratch, but um, and that helped me a lot. The legal having that legal background, but yeah. I think business would have been even more valuable. And I wish I had gotten someone on board very early in the company with a business background that probably would have saved me five years. Well, now that you're attending these conferences and a lot of these analytics, because that's that seems to be one of the most important aspects of business is just these analytics, measuring stuff, tracking stuff. Now that that's just way more accessible, do you really need a business person? Can you can you just take some of these services now that you even see at this conference where it's just like plug in this virtual currency thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so maybe do you do you need a business partner at this point? I think you, know? you definitely do, and in a you, in a way, almost the presence of those almost makes it more necessary to have a good person because you need someone who can. Now there's so many. You need someone who can look at those and be like, no, that one's bad. No, that one doesn't work for us. No, that's more than we need. No, they're charging too much. Because you also need people to understand like the deals. Like, oh, this licensing deal, this isn't fair. They want a royalty. They want this. You know, like we've looked at different engines, and everybody has a different. There's no standardized contract. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like every piece of middleware you might look at. You know, some of them charge a flat fee. Some of them require a three-year support contract. Some of them want a royalty. You know what I mean? Like, and that's a really tough like web to navigate if you're just a computer programmer. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that business person is really, really still necessary to help you from making a big mistake. And you could blow all your money on a couple of licenses and then, then you could be totally screwed. Yeah. Um, where can developers find out more information or even play your games? Well, our company is Frog Dice. So our main website is www.frogdice.com. That's like a frog and dice. Um, our games are Threshold and Primordiax. Those are out. You can reach them on that game. Um, if anyone has questions about getting into the industry, they can email us it's right off the website. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Great. Um, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it.